everyone, and welcome to Colored Red, a podcast all about Colorado true crime. I'm your host, Laura, and I'm going to switch gears for this in this month's episode, bring you something mysterious, something almost horror or thriller movie-esque, something that will leave you all wondering and that can keep you up at night other than everything else that's currently going on. This is a case of the disappearance of two different men, and these men didn't know each other, but their cases ended up becoming intertwined and similar in ways that seem beyond coincidental. Today's sources include Unsolved Mysteries, the Trace Evidence podcast, and a few other sources about the um, history of Silver Plume and some online publications. The setting of this story is one small and idyllic little mountain town called Silver Plume, which is just west of Georgetown, Colorado. It's the very image of a mountain town, and if you've driven up I-70 to head into the mountains, then you've gone past it. And it is called a living ghost town by some, and it's full of strange history and characters. One is the legend of a man called Clifford Griffin, who lost his fiance in New York to unnamed causes and moved to the town with his brother during its mining days to escape the grief of his loss. He was said to immediately become a fixture of the town, and his brother came to own the 730 mine. Clifford had many traditions with the locals, including buying a goose for every family at Christmas and buying out bars in a four-mile radius so that miners wouldn't have to spend their own money to have a good time on Christmas. He would also sit by the entrance to the 730 mine and play his violin, and the acoustics of the valley would project the music from the violin to every, to every single resident of Silver Plume, and they enjoyed listening to it. He did this for several years, but gradually his grief over not having a family became too great. One night, he was playing violin by the mine, and the residents heard a gunshot, which of course was incredibly loud because everyone could already hear the music. They ran to the mine to find Clifford in a grave that he dug himself with a bullet through his head. He had killed himself and left a note at the local bank telling residents not to worry and that he died exactly where he was happiest. Later on, a fire destroyed much of the main business row of Silver Plume in 1884 and killed several people, causing many to move because businesses were no longer viable there. But disaster struck again in 1899 when two avalanches began and they combined together as they came down the mountain into one, and they buried much of the town in snow. They didn't even know how many people were dead until the coming spring when they could actually find all of the bodies in the snow. Then during World War I, the demand for silver and other mined metals brought the town back to life and the population rose to nearly 2,000 until the end of the war brought the town to an end again. Now the, the town holds roughly 200 people and a couple of businesses dot the main street and come and go because the town isn't exactly known for its bustling and successful businesses. More recent history saw the unfolding of a mystery that's become the darkest yet for a town with so much despair in its past. 
The quiet solitude of Silver Plume was attractive to a man named Tom Young, who lived in Silver Plume in 1987 and ran a small bookshop out of a Main Street store with his dog, who was named Gus. So Tom had only run the bookshop for about a year, and he occasionally went out for drinks or met up with friends in the town. And it was rumored that the shop was failing, but none of this was really a secret, as no one really started a shop in Silver Plume for it to be a great success. On September 7th, 1987, Tom closed up the bookshop with Gus, and the two of them disappeared, never to be seen alive again. At first, when he didn't return to open the shop, friends thought he may have gone on a vacation, but weeks went by and there was really no sign of Tom or Gus. And it's like Tom had turned the key of his small mountain bookshop and walked off into the chilly mountain air alone and just kept on walking. Tom had mentioned um, that he was thinking about traveling to Europe and wanting to live elsewhere, so many residents thought that this was what happened, and he simply abandoned his shop and the merchandise within it and his belongings as a way of disappearing and just not having to deal with it. So the people of Silver Plume were left to wonder what happened, but as the weeks turned into months, the small shop that Tom Young rented was rented to another man named Keith Reinhard. Keith was a well-known sports columnist and reporter who worked in Illinois um, in a suburb just under 30 miles from Chicago for a publication called the Daily Herald. And he came to Silver Plume to seek solitude and to deal with a bit of a midlife crisis that he had going on. He wanted to finish a novel. He wanted peace and quiet. And he left his wife and children back in Illinois with a promise to return in a few months. He wanted to overcome a lifelong fear of heights by trying to hike some of the Rocky Mountains as well. And Keith didn't just pull Silver Plume out of a hat. He had a friend there who owned a small cafe, and his name was Ted Parker. Ted's description of the town gave Keith this idea that he would love it, and it was perfect for his plans to get away from it all. Keith told Ted that he wasn't happy about being middle-aged, about being out of shape, and that he needed some time away. So Keith packed up and moved to Silver Plume. He rented a small apartment in the back of a local Catholic church, and he rented a storefront to sell antiques and matted photos and stuff. The very same storefront that had been operated by Tom Young only months prior. Keith soon heard about the story of Tom Young and how he led a solitary existence in the very shop that he now operated out of, and he was intrigued, to say the least. Instead of the little antique shop being successful or a decent distraction, life in the small mountain town wasn't as idyllic as he imagined, and his mind really wandered to the missing Tom Young, an interest of his that soon turned into an obsession for Keith. And so Keith Reinhardt explored this mystery of Tom Young and his fate, and he ended up making Tom Young the inspiration for his novel. And he created a character in his story that was essentially Tom Young and Keith combined. Keith set about interviewing people of the town about Tom's strange disappearance. He asked them what they thought happened and what they thought about Tom. And he amassed notes and collected information that he started to use for his novel and the story in there. On July 31st, 1988, now only about 10 months after Tom Young initially vanished, 
two hunters discovered the skeletal remains of a man propped up against a tree an hour's hike away from the town. Near the man was a backpack, a gun, and the skeletal remains of a dog. Both of the skeletons had evidence of a gunshot wound to the head and were soon identified as Tom Young and his dog, Gus. His death was officially ruled a suicide, but like many suicides or possible suicides, everyone interviewed about it didn't feel like it could be true. He didn't appear depressed. He didn't express any feelings about being unhappy. But we know this is too often the case with suicides. One thing that bolstered the suicide theory was that Tom Young had purchased a gun the week before he walked off into the woods with his dog. However, the idea remained and lingered that something else was going on in Tom's life and it contributed to his death. Maybe not that he was murdered, but that there was a dark secret that could have driven him to suicide. So months later, Keith Reinhard is operating a store in the same rented shop and it's becoming increasingly more difficult and he is becoming increasingly manic about researching Tom Young. Neighbors and others in the town have begun to notice some odd behavior from Keith. His novel wasn't coming along too well. His shop wasn't doing too well, but I'm not sure what he expected. His dreams of settling into mountain life and pumping out a novel and getting over his problems weren't coming to fruition. He slips deeper and deeper into himself and deeper into the mystery of Tom Young, and it seems to be really all that he can talk about. He's becoming solitary, but the times that he is out, he's obsessed and he's almost giddy and excited about the story of Tom Young. A week after Tom's remains were discovered, Reinhard went out for a walk about the town and he tells people he comes across that he's planning a solo hike up to Pendleton Mountain, which is about a six hour round trip trek and over 12,000 feet high and is not a hike for the faint of hearts nor for the novice hiker. Another strange point was that he planned to do this in the evening and arrive back into town late that night or in the wee hours of the early morning, essentially hiking half of the trip in pitch black darkness, presumably with a flashlight. Keith was very afraid of heights and he suffered from vertigo, so this would be quite the trek for him. Many in the town say that they honestly didn't think Keith had ever really been on many hikes and they weren't sure if he was even physically fit enough to make it even halfway. They also said that they thought he was very ill-prepared and they told him as such. Um, his friend Ted, who ran the cafe, said Keith came into the cafe and told him that he was hiking the mountain and he joked around about calling rescue if he didn't return and Ted thought that Keith was basically blowing hot air and spouting off about an idea, not necessarily stating a plan. Nevertheless, on August 7th, 1988, Richard closed up his antique shop for the day and headed out into the town alone around 5 p.m. His friend Ted saw him within an hour before this hike and had no idea that he was actually setting off on a hike. Ted said that Keith had nothing with him, no pack, no supplies, no water, nothing, no flashlight. He didn't even have warm clothing because despite it being August, nighttime at those elevations can get pretty chilly. 
there was a final sighting of him at a general store purchasing a soda, and this was the last sighting of him before his trek up the mountain. He was wearing just jeans and a flannel shirt, and Keith was never seen or heard from again. He was 49 years old. He left behind a wife who he had married only a few years prior, as well as three children from a previous marriage. After he failed to return that evening, a search was begun. Ted leased the shop to him and entered it with his own key. Keith's novel was still up on his computer, which I imagine was one of those really old expensive computers. And there was an article open on the desk about the discovery of the body of Tom Young. The search for Keith was extensive. There was an air search with helicopters and planes, volunteers, dogs, and it was one of the largest searches in Colorado history for a person missing in the mountains. And some sources say that it was the largest search in history. Searchers found the terrain difficult to navigate and incredibly rocky. Dogs had to have their feet wrapped to make it over all of the sharp rocks that are present around that area. And as this tragedy after tragedy unfolded in this town, on August 12, 1988, a Cessna plane carrying two searchers looking for Keith crashed into the mountains near Georgetown, killing the pilot named Terry Leddens and seriously injuring the other searcher on board named Don Drobny. Terry Leddens is another name added to the list of deaths and disappearances surrounding Silver Plume and the mysterious goings-on there. After seven days of extensive searching, the search was called off officially, but continued by locals and other small groups. Over over 10,000 man-hours were spent looking, and Keith's body has still never been found. His fate has never been uncovered. But that isn't to say that there isn't a lack of clues and strange information left by Keith in the form of the novel he was writing that was inspired by Tom Young and also inspired a bit by himself. In the book, Tom Young and Keith's character is named Guy Gypsum. The book was never finished and never published, but family members and friends have looked at vague phrases and hints within the manuscript for clues as to why Keith left alone at 5 p.m. to take a hike he had never done before and was actually quite fearful of. Here's one of the lines from the manuscript. Guy Gypsum changed into some hiking boots and donned a heavy flannel shirt. He understood it all now and his motivations. Guy closed the door and then walked off towards the lush, shadowless Colorado forests above. Sound familiar? So what did Guy Gypsum understand? What were his motivations? We can look to Keith's actions the evening before he left on his solo hike. He stopped in at a party and he was seen having what witnesses call a very deep conversation with the mysterious woman named Greta, possibly Gretchen, who was believed to be from Denver. It's also possible neither of those were her name because no one seems to have been able to definitively ID this woman. Did he plan his own departure as a way to start a new life, or was he truly just exceptionally naive and ill-prepared as a hiker and he met a bad fate out in the wilderness? Did his novel hold clues as to his intentions, or is there something deeper going on here that connects Tom Young and Keith Reinhardt, given the similarities of their disappearances? 
Could it possibly have anything to do with the shop front that they both spent time in running failing businesses alone? Theories about Tom Young's original disappearance took on new energy when it was eventually discovered that the bullets that killed Tom and his dog were not conclusively linked to the gun that was lying near them. The idea that maybe Tom had gone looking for someone and been shot by that person in the woods was gaining some momentum. Additionally, theories about Keith's motivation have taken shape. Keith's daughter Tiffany has told reporters that writers like to live the stories that they're writing about. But one of Keith's sons, Kai Allen, believes that his father is the victim of foul play. He considers it unlikely that Keith would have simply disappeared intentionally without contacting his children or anyone he loves or even just leaving a note of explanation. Keith was a writer, remember, and often shared his thoughts and ideas with his family through that medium. And so to not leave just a note of his intentions was seen as really strange. Kai also traveled to the mountain later on in life to climb it himself and try to experience what his father may have gone through that evening. Keith's entire family also canvassed areas with missing persons flyers after his disappearance, and they went on national TV shows to bring publicity to the case. They even spoke with psychics, and Keith's first wife and mother of his children always wondered what happened and doubted a suicide theory, but Carolyn, who was married to him when he disappeared, ended up remarrying, and she also couldn't believe that he would just abandon his children or her, or his career that he supposedly loved. One of Keith's other sons ended up dying tragically in a carbon monoxide accident. So the coincidences between Tom and Keith are still too much for some to come to terms with, and many who knew Tom or Keith have posited the idea that Tom and Keith found something or someone on the mountain that didn't want to be uncovered. People like Kai Allen, Keith's son, who thinks there's foul play involved, believe that the answers will be revealed when someone from the town speaks up about a potential dark secret. So what are these theories? The first theory is that they both found someone or something on the mountain that contributed to their murder or disappearance. But no evidence and scant rumors exist to verify this theory. Many believed that there was no way Tom could have shot his own dog, and he was possibly shot by someone else, but the dog was shot through the head. So how likely is it that an attacking stranger could have managed to shoot a dog like that in the head during a struggle? Tom's body was found leaning up against a tree, another strange place for a murderer to leave a body. But one thing that I do find hard to understand is that Tom's body and bones were not scattered in any way by animals and instead were found intact, leaning against the tree. None of the extensive searches ever uncovered a hermit or anything strange out in the woods, and more years and decades of hikers haven't found anything else either. The next theory is that Tom Young committed suicide and Keith ran away with the unknown woman that he was in deep conversation with at the party, but he staged it to appear more mysterious than it was because of his flair for fiction and partly inspired by the story of Tom Young. So how likely could it possibly be that two strangers at a party meet up 
and decide to stage a dramatic exit together the next day. The other idea is that Keith could have potentially invited the woman up himself since no one else knew who she was and that they then ran off together. The fact that Keith has never bothered to ever contact his kids if he did in fact run off and there's no sign of him or anyone like him living under a false name um, that's been recovered, um, it sort of makes this idea of Keith running off seem unlikely. And Keith wasn't completely cut off from the rest of the world in Silver Plume either. He talked with his boss and his family, and he talked with his boss only days before he wandered off into the woods, and he contacted him with a story idea that he wanted to cover for the Daily Herald when he returned back to Illinois to his job. A different theory involving the woman is that she's a murderer who killed Keith. No one can say exactly why she was in the town for the party that night. No one can really say who she is either. And no one knows what she and Keith talked about. If she was some kind of serial killer, she came up to the mountain and wandered into the town with intentions to trap her next victim. And honestly, I find all of that pretty ridiculous. It's more likely Keith was the one who invited her. But that actually makes the question of who she is even more interesting and mysterious. The next theory is that both men committed suicide, but it's not clear why Keith would want to commit suicide by exposure, potentially, of all things. Maybe the connection between Keith and Tom is less of a coincidence, and learning about Tom and his fate simply inspired Keith to do the same. Maybe Keith had more with him than he appeared to when he left and had a small handgun concealed in his pants or something like that. If you can buy the idea that Keith would kill himself without leaving a shred of explanation for his family, can you buy the idea that he killed himself without ever finishing his novel or leaving behind a complete work that he so desperately wanted to at least do with his life? The final theory, and the most likely, is that Keith was really just that ill-prepared and unaware of what hiking entailed. No one stopped him because they didn't believe he was serious. Driven partly by his manic obsession with the story of Tom Young, he set out to face his fear of heights with no supplies in the evening and just happened to never have anticipated what would happen. He likely turned around at some point and then got lost in the dark, was attacked by an animal, fell from one of the many rocky cliffs and ledges in the area, or something of that sort, and his body has just never been discovered. The wilderness is chock full of stories of people who were ill-prepared or who were even prepared and managed to become completely lost. And many are never found and their fate is never uncovered. So the mystery and connection between Keith and Tom is still a fascinating one. So fascinating, in fact, that a documentary is being made about them and set to come out this year called Dark Side of the Mountain. The documentary claims to have more information from people in the town that offers a slightly different perspective and bolsters the idea that maybe there is this deep, dark secret in Silverplume waiting to be uncovered. And the little shop is the epicenter of some unnamed evil driving men to their grisly end. A plaque bearing a quote from Keith's writing sits on the mountain in dedication to his memory 
And here it is. Here's what it says. Oh God, I want to wonder. I want to wonder till I die. With the mountains as my living room and my only roof, the sky. So there it is. And that's all for this episode. Go check out some photos from um, this case, the Tom Young and of Keith Reinhardt, etc. on my Instagram at Colored Red Podcast. And if you're so inclined, um, go check out the Patreon, patreon.com slash Colored Red Podcast. And if you donate just $1 per month, you'll get a card and a sticker in the mail from me. And here in a couple weeks, I'll have a brand new historical murder for you guys. So until next time, stay safe, stay sane.